Hello, and welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Freckleton. Have you ever noticed how fear stops us from creating and sharing our best work? Join the Fearless Storyteller as we explore the heart and soul of writing stories, songs, and scripts that sell with the people who write them. Each guest has their own unique hero's journey and insights into the intersections between limiting beliefs and success. What's my story? In 2007, I was divorced, in debt, stuck in a soul-sucking job, desperate to have a meaningful, fulfilling life, but not sure where to begin. I made a simple choice at the time, to start honoring my yes and to start speaking my no. Consequences be damned. After all, how could my life possibly get any worse? I began the long path of becoming a professional songwriter, finding my fearless voice along the way. Now, I'm living my dream life as a husband, father, and professional storyteller. Georgina Marie is a screenwriter, stand-up comic, actress, and improviser. In short, she's a serial creative. She hustled and tried a lot of things to keep her career going over the years, and a couple years ago her efforts paid off, and then some. In a short period, she went from trying to create work, being triple booked with high-profile projects, including an ongoing writing gig for Disney. So what saved Georgina from tipping over after she got triple booked? Her background in improvisation, among other things. And now she's sharing her tips with writers of all levels with her new book, Improv for Writers. Her guidelines work equally well for writing stories and defeating writer's block and living a quality life. Georgina Marie, welcome to the Fearless Storyteller podcast. Ethan, thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here and talking about stories. <laughs> I do love talking about stories. And you reached out to me a couple months ago because you have a book called Improv for Writers that has just come out. And that sounds fascinating and juicy. Um, <laughs> it's true. I have this book and uh, this book insisted on coming out into the world and did so with uh, a little bit of glitter around it, I think. It's been really nice to have people interested in it and to be doing a lot of workshops, getting people sharing their stories and making up stories in a split second. Mm. Mm. And, and that's the purpose of the book. That's a wonderful purpose for for anything. I mean, when we're when we're flowing, that's a beautiful thing. And for people who may not be familiar with you, like, what's your background? How did you come to be talking about improv for writers? I have been teaching improv for um, quite a while to uh, all different ages, and I used what I learned from them and in my classes and from my own experience of learning how powerful the art of improv and the the rules of that can be. Mm. And I came to it as a as an actress and then um, began really utilizing it to come up with ideas for the shows that I write on at Disney. Mm. Mm. That's great. And I imagine that probably coming from a acting background, you get really familiar with story if you're reading a lot. Especially character. Yeah. So story and the sort of working, like the inner workings of it aren't something that is taught to actors. We're really taught about really focused on character, but how a character would change throughout, which is, of course, something that's very handy as a writer to know that things have to happen. There has to be a shift with your characters, that they're not the same as they were in the beginning, unless that's specifically your purpose with the with that character and with your message, you know, how people don't change, that kind of thing. Right. And so how does that relate to improv as far as character well, and change? I think for me and I've I've taught short form and long form and, and the, the differences uh, I'll just briefly explain is short mm. form is a lot of games and maybe more big, bold kind of sketchy characters sometimes and long form can be 
uh, a little bit more grounded and uh, sometimes and, and, and more grounded and a little bit uh, more time to get to know the characters mm. and uh, there's a lot of other nuances with those differences but improv is improv and the rule it's like any any other you know any other sort of thing that you take up to study you, you want to have an understanding of like how does this work what what should I know going into this and there are just a few simple pieces when you start to do improv that can actually be hard to wrap our human minds around like the concept of say yes you think oh well that'll be easy and then you get thrown in a scene and people are watching and you immediately just want to yell like no that's a stupid idea to the person across mm-hmm. from you and and you're a mm-hmm. nice person you're like why am i doing this yeah but over time you you can begin to embrace how saying yes to your scene and to ideas is just about building something much mm-hmm. like it is in life Mm. So, like, what comes to mind for me when you say that, like, immediately the first thing, like, was my daughter, who's three, <laughs> and she's great at flowing ideas. And the second thing was that shouting down people, which um, I think a lot of us have these bad experiences when we first start collaborating with people where we do shout, get shouted down or we shout others down. And I'm, well, we're used to doing that to ourselves. Like we mm. sit down to write and you get one word out or one sentence or a paragraph or a chapter, whatever it is, you get the beginnings of a project going. And then you look back at it and you go, no, that's stupid. You know, not everybody does that, but it's pretty common that you, mm. you go, or at least you go, no, let me take that line out and let me change that. And this philosophy is really about like, just put a whole bunch out there. Because I think what happens is ideas, Melissa Gilbert talks about this in in, um, her book, Big Magic, about how ideas like have this kind of their own vitality to them. Mm. And if we let them pass us by, they'll go to somebody else. So if Mm -hmm. we, you know, if we embrace them and start working on them and we move forward, like I think somebody else would have written this book if I didn't write it. And I felt really compelled once the idea came to me to like, take it as far as I could. And then once I started to feel a lot of support from people around me, I knew Mm. this is something to move forward with. And ideas are like that. If we, if let's say we're like, okay, I want to come up with an idea for a kid's book. And then you start to like list out, like, I want to, I want it to be about like, like, um, like some kind of story with like the, the magic of, I don't know, trains. And you're like, okay, let me start listing out these ideas. And then, and then you get one on the page or even you get to, maybe it'll be about, the magic of trains. Like I loved riding trains when I was a kid in a hobo, mm. you know, with my hobo stick, my bindle stick. And you're like, that's what I want to write. And then you, your next thing is like, nah, nobody's going to want to read that. Or you look it up and you're like, oh, all these other people have written. You just start to do this thing of no, yeah. even in a, in a subtle way. And how easy do you think it's going to be for another idea to pop its head out of its little idea hobbit hole? Yeah. It's going to be hard. The ideas don't want to come to you because you're, they don't think it's safe. But if you, if we're, if we become writers and creative people who are like, have at least a brief period of time where we're like, hey, everybody get in here. Like, hey, come on in. Let's, let's see what we got. Like, oh, you're an idea. Oh, cool. I like you. Let me write it down. You, mm-hmm. you know, you're an idea. Okay, cool. I like you too. Let's write it down. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for showing up. It's like guests at your party. Like, would you ever open the door and be like, get out. Like, <laughs> I bought a nice bottle of Bordeaux. It's like, <laughs> you know, you, you invite everybody in and yeah. then, and then you stay connected with those things that you, you feel really passionate about. And when we do narrow it down, that's called editing. And that's mm. called like making choice about the projects that you really care about that, that you feel really passionate about that you might wake up in the morning thinking about. And, and, but that's later. It's like, if we don't have anything, it, if we haven't had a time of gestating these ideas and of course it's easy to say I have, I just have no ideas or right. I'm, I'm blocked, right. you know? So it sounds like you're pretty much an idea factory now. Was that always the case or was writer's block and lack of ideas and that war with yourself an issue for you? I don't, I don't think that I realized how much I could come up with until I was tasked with, like the busiest year I had, the busiest past couple of years I had. I mean, there was a time when I just recently where I had this book deal and I also had, so I was working on the book Mm. and then I also got 
a chance to write for a feature for Writer's Digest on the, this subject. And I got my first assignment at Disney. Mm. And I nearly lost my mind. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I was so excited, but I also felt like I, I don't like just feeling worthy of that and my own like personal, like just those personal struggles of like the inner work. Mm. And, but I'm a deadline junkie and that is actually the name of my writer's group. And <laughs> I knew that there was no way I wasn't going to meet any of these deadlines. I was going to get it done, whether I had a stiff neck from writing, which I did mm-hmm, <laughs> actually mm-hmm. been writing so many yeah. hours a day. And I had to learn how to like shift my computer and all of that. And this, this all, we just don't know until we try what we can do. And before all of this, you know, I'd be, just writing jokes like pretty much every day I'd come up with like some jokes for my stand-up act or you know some you know an idea would come to me and I'd jot it down and I was writing plays and things like that but this simultaneous so many different ideas coming and knowing how to organize them and sort Mm. of place them into a priority bin you know like no I'm gonna ideas that are great for this or I'm gonna save this for later but at least jot it down I didn't I was really like a one one thing at a time um, as far as like writing projects go. And yeah. I didn't know to like, well, just be open and let, let all those ideas come because you'll, you'll, you'll figure it out. And mm. um, I think it's the same with anything. We don't, we don't know what we can do until life throws us something really big. And you'd think, you know, a few months before it would have killed you. And then you're like, and I'm talking about, not just about like writing assignments. I'm talking about like the things that happen to us in life. Mm-hmm. They they happen, and then you just end up stronger because of it. And that's definitely what's happened to me. Like I I feel like confidence growing, and just a different level of like. I think it's even if you haven't gotten your book published, you've put in the time mm-hmm. every day, or you know you've got that book finished, or you're 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 on your way, or that big project you have this confidence that, that you didn't have before when you only had the desire of like, yeah, I want to write the great American novel. Right. Yeah. I want to do that. But then you actually sit down and you start creating these characters that you fall in love with. It's a different feeling than you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm a writer. Right. It's probably addictive, huh? Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and stand up definitely is. It's like people are always saying like, Oh, that's gotta be so hard. And, my response is only when people aren't laughing because it's a breeze. <laughs> Otherwise mm. it's like that your body gets the very first time I got a, a laugh was when I was in a play in high school, a Neil Simon play. Yeah. And I'd never done anything like that before. I was very much focused on living in the cabin and writing novels. And that's what I was going to do with my life. And then I auditioned for this play and got cast in a big part. And it was a funny character and I didn't know what I was doing. I just, I just tried to, I don't know. And then we, we were in front of, all through rehearsal, the director was very worried about me. Was like, we can't hear you. You know, mm. <laughs> I could tell she was very worried. And then opening night came and I don't know, I just talked as loudly as I could. <laughs> and I got that first laugh and my body, like, I still remember it. My body had this physical reaction and it was like, it was simultaneously like, this is amazing. And simultaneously like, uh-oh. Like, I don't think I'm going to be sitting in a room, you know, on a, at a typewriter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is too addictive. It's yeah. It's too much fun. I'm glad you brought that up because that's what I was picturing you say. It's only hard when people aren't laughing. And that's what it made me think of as well. The target audience for improv for writers are these people like myself who are writing at home with no feedback loop while we're doing it, right? And so people aren't laughing, right? And, and yeah. I, I guess that's what your book is about, right? Is building that trust and commitment and Oh my gosh, I'm so okay glad you said trust. Own. Yeah. So can you talk about that? Yeah, I, I wanted to say you actually do have some feedback. You have yourself. Hmm. And that's really important. Just before we... we, we um, we're scheduled to to talk. Mm. I thought I, I'm still laughing. I thought of something that I just was like, I find this hilarious, and I am totally going to do this in my next stand up show. Mm. You know, when you go, to, 
I'll just share it because it's ridiculous. When you go to a comedy show and the comedians are like, all right, by a show of hands, like how many people uh, feel like blah, blah, blah. And I want to do that bit, but I want to be like, all right, by a show of hands, how many people here hate being asked uh, by a show of hands? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted, I love absurd, silly things like that. And it tickled me to no end. I mean, I'm still laughing about it and I'll do that Mm. joke on stage and we'll see what happens. I might have to adjust a word or I might have to adjust something, but I have a feeling like that's going to be, that's going to get a good giggle. I just have a feeling about it. And that's what we do. That's what we do with our characters. When you create Mm. a really just evil, diabolical person and your skin starts to crawl, Mm. there's something there. You Mm. know it. Yeah. So whether it's comedy or any, any genre, you know, it's like that, that great advice, write the show that you, you know, write the story that you want to read or watch and there's really something to that especially now with there being so much content you can find exactly what you want i'm really particular with what i'm looking for and it's out there and then when i find it i just i just wrap my arms around it i'm like hey, i want to watch this like over and over again and these are the kinds of things that i want to write right i'm yeah you're you're really talking about like in 2019 heading into 2020 right like our unique voices and how we say things and what really lights us up has that ability. It's, it's set up now the entertainment landscape for people to find that. Right. Yeah. Before it was like, if you wanted to do something like when I started doing stand up, certainly the only female on the show, almost mm. always. And many of the shows, there were no women on them. That mm. that's starting to shift, but at that time, I thought the only way to do my oddball things that I want to do is get up on stage and do set up punch. Mm. And now it's different. We have people like Bo Burnham and we have people like doing, we have Randy Feltface and we have Eddie Izzard and we have just so many amazing, like just incredible. And that's just comedy. That's just stand-up, which, right. by the way, when I was teaching improv, when I started teaching, I had to explain to my students what stand-up comedy was, because they'd mm-hmm. be like, where are you going? I'm like, I got a gig. I got um, We got to end class a little bit early tonight, or you know, I have to have a sub come in um, this Friday, okay, so we'll, we'll figure it out. And they'd be like, well, what are you doing? And um, oh, I'm, doing, I'm doing stand-up. What's that? Now you don't have to, I don't have to explain that to you know, maybe to a five-year-old, mm-hmm. but like, it's, it's very, it's really like coming back around like a golden age of TV, a golden age of comedy. And, um, what you mentioned about like the things that light us up, I'm like, I'm all about that in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to do 10 rules. Well, it's 10 and a half rules actually, but then I couldn't stop myself because I was like, I have to fit in conjure enthusiasm somewhere. Mm-hmm. I have to put that in this book. So I, I was like, but people love bonuses and I love a good deal. So I was like, <laughs> put a bonus rule in there. And that bonus rule is, is um, 11 and it's conjure enthusiasm about finding ways for us to get those topics that light us up. I call it springs on the bottom of your feet, because if right. you've ever bounced out of bed in the morning and I'm certainly, I don't do that every day, but there have been days when I just leap out and I've got to get to write something down or my head is starting to like brew and boil. And I think it's going to explode because I'm so like, I'm, I'm humming with like this idea that I want to like do something with. And we all deserve that. We're all create like anybody who's listening to this is clearly a creative person and we all want to feel that way. And we're not all going to feel that way every day. I can, I can guarantee that. I mean, I can't guarantee that I would never want to stop people from feeling that way all the time, but I just think it's unrealistic because um, there's, there's the hard work part of, of what we're doing too. But mm. if we can tap into that thing that lights us up, like you said, that, that, that thing, um, or a couple of things, whatever it is, and, and just give it the attention, say yes to it, support it and bring it into the world, trusting that we will find our audience like how the same audience who likes Andrew Dice Clay is probably not the same audience that likes Maria Bamford. Mm-hmm. And, but they mm-hmm. each have their own place. Right. And, you know, the same person who likes The Crown isn't the same person who likes Dirty Jobs, or maybe they are, whatever, but you see what I mean. It's like I do. Yeah. It's really different. Um, it's out there. And 
And rather than thinking, oh, there's so much content, the world doesn't need to hear from me. Actually, the world does need to hear from you because there's only so many people who are doing the kind of thing that you want to do your way. Right. And so we're not, it occurs to me that we're, when you mentioned the difference between the comedians, like what Andrew Dice Clay's audience isn't the same, right? And because they would be lumped into the same genre or category if you were like scrolling Netflix or searching on Amazon or in the bookstore, it'd be in the comedy section. And I'm sure you know, like, that's the hardest genre if you're like a say you're a fan of comedy because because I like this person's voice and I'm searching for more stuff like that person's voice, right? And I'm yep. not getting tickled by what other people are doing. And so how do you stand out now and and give people those clues to find you? Well, boy, now that's a really great question. Um, and I think... And and let me know if you have any ideas, because I think we're all working on this. But what yeah. I've, what I've, um, even like how you and I met, it's like for years now, everybody's been talking about like brand, your brand. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really just your essence. And it's mm. like if you, everything that you put out and, and the kinds of people that you reach out to connect to, even through, you know, through social media, um, it's not just like a, 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 a a punt, like a, a get it out there and grab what you can, which is definitely what I've done in the past mm-hmm. for sure. Because mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't know. And it was like when comedy was like just sort of this stand up set up punch sort of thing, it was like, well, I'm trying to appeal to everybody here. But, you know, I started opening mm-hmm. for some really good people and I opened for this one guy at catch a rising star and I was really honored to be there because I, I felt like they had, they had a real high caliber of, you had to be kind of, you know, I was working at a professional level and got to open for some of these people. And a couple came up to me at the end of one of these shows and uh, was floored by what they said to me. They, they said, you know, you were our favorite, like from the night. And there were only mm. three comics, was mm. the traditional uh, MC. Um, you know, or host the middle act and then the the headliner. I don't remember if I was hosting or middling, but um, I certainly wasn't headlining. But for mm. somebody to come up to me and tell me that they like me more than the person who was supposed to be the draw for the whole weekend, right? Like blew my mind. Mm. And I I never thought that because it made me realize like, oh, they want my brand of humor. Like they want like what I'm putting out there, which is this sort of silly, everybody like, everybody get in here. <laughs> mm. Like, come on in. I'm not going to pick on you. I'm I'm not going to call you out. We're going to talk about stuff and, uh, and let's just have fun and let's laugh at some things. Mm. And, um, you know, the, the not, not a mean spirited kind of thing. And, and it's like, that's, that's what I'm doing. And, and this is where actually those algorithms can be helpful. Um, they've helped me discover some other comedians and other books and things of, you know, that suggested for you um, mm. that, that happens. Or if you like that, you'll like this, like this perfume in the eighties. If you <sighs> like Giorgio, you'll love spritz spritz or whatever, you know, it's like we have that for our entertainment now. Um, And then you talk to other people about it and they're like, oh, well, if you like that, you're going to have you checked out the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, you know, and that kind of thing. It's like, oh, yeah. Or I haven't seen that. What's that? Mm. Because there is so much um, content out there. It's like sometimes it's word of mouth. And that's the same thing with our writing and our comedy. Books and projects get known because somebody spreads them around, like even those successful Kickstarters. You're Mm. asking if you want to write your novel and you need the time to do it and you decide to do a crowd, do crowdfunding to make the space and time, you're, you're spreading that around. Somebody likes the concept. They send it to somebody else. The book comes out, you know, and it, mm. it's that word of mouth being important. And that's where our, our, that's how we stand out is by standing there and being really sure about who we are mm. and not, not writing or saying things that are outside of that. I'm pretty, have a lot of opinions about a lot of things, but um, I think to myself, I'm, I'll write a personal essay about that or I'll, you know, 
you can even go as like, I'll, I'll write that under some, some authors do this, you know, they'll, they'll have their different names for the different genres just because right. it gets confusing. Like, I think when people go to my website, they get confused by the different things that I do. So part of my job is to make it really clear. Now I'm a professional storyteller. I may mm. do my voices on a show and I may write, you know, for kids, but I'm, I'm doing the same thing over and over. I'm, I'm telling, I'm being a part of stories that are, there's some similarities to them. Right. I think as creatives, we all struggle with that because we do like part of the joy is doing lots of stuff and continuously learning and expanding. And that can outpace the skill of talking about ourselves and positioning ourselves. And so, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. boy, boy, are you right about that? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a regular struggle, right? Every time a new project comes, if it's different than what it was doing before, I can speak for myself, you know. And so what I'm getting, though, is like, one, this sense of empowerment around, you know, if you lean into what you love to create and you lean into this essence of who you are and what lights you up while you're creating, right, you're kind of creating your brand in a way that's really empowering. And if you trust it, maybe this is going to be a, a trick, right? To getting that commitment and setting your creative self free. I don't know, but that's kind of what I'm feeling from it. And- Oh yeah, I mean, commitment, commitment is such a huge part of anything that we do. Um, I was just reading a little bit about commitment, uh, about how, I don't know if it was Jack Canfield. Somebody said uh, something about not, it's like the concept is. Sorry, I don't have this right at the tip of my tongue, but mm. um, the concept is ninety nine percent is hard, a hundred percent is a breeze. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I was doing a workshop yesterday at uh, at Disney. I was um, teaching the concepts of the rules. Uh, yeah. I'd been invited to, in to talk about it. And I said, you know, if I had to pick any one of these rules from the book and I, and I was like, there's probably a good, like 30 great rules on improv out there that I've Mm -hmm. seen over the years and all the different schools I've taught at, but I was going to narrow it down to 10. But if you ask me like, which one were you like, I, you, you can't live without this deserted Island, one rule of improv. And I would just say commitment, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, there's the, the beginning ones in the book that I talk about that are really important, like being present. And so it's a struggle to like pick one for me. But if, if I could say there's one that like makes me feel secure as a person, mm. it's commitment because every time I go to do something, if I do it with that 100% um, rather than a 99 or mm. anything less, yeah. I'm safe from my own criticism. Mm. And that's a big key part of the book that I really want people to get. And just, just knowing about improv and, and, and making bold choices that those, it, when you make a bold choice, any choice at all, and you commit with everything that you have to it, you're safe. Mm. Why? I don't know. It's magic. Cause mm. then later it's like somebody writes a bad review about what you did and like, you're like, okay, well, it, but you know, it, it may, you know, maybe it affects us because we're human, but for the most part, you're safe from those criticisms because you did the best that you could. I mean, what else could you do in that, in that moment? You, you, and you gave it everything you had rather than you start to think, oh, you get that feeling of, oh, I wrote this thing and, oh, yeah, maybe yeah. you didn't give it all your attention and like really commit to the project, commit to the characters, commit to listening to them, commit to spending time making space for yourself to do this right. project. But when, right. when we give it that hundred, every, it changes everything, 1% can change everything. Mm, I, I totally get that. Um, so for many who are listening, right, there may be that struggle of committing to the first project or learning to get into that headspace and mindset where, where committing is going to create this magic of more words are going to flow. It's going to be my voice. It's going to be awesome, regardless of what other people think, right? And, and then there's this next layer of people out there who are like, I've written a book, I've written 10 books, I've written 20 books. My career is not where I want it to be yet, right? Um, 
it sounds like these concepts apply to managing a career, creative career, just as much as getting the words on the page. Oh, yeah, I think so. And I think so because they're so like, they're so universal that they can apply to just a lot of different things, especially, I mean, the first one that came to mind was having no expectations or what, what I'd call letting go. Mm. So either worded either way. And, um, you know, as somebody who has had a lot of people come up to me and say like, how do I get started in stand up comedy? And, you know, from, you know, if you're listening this long that you don't know who I am and you don't know any of my comedy, probably, um, you can still be somebody who's made a career and not be a household name. It doesn't take away from all the work that you've done. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just, it's different for everybody. And the people who, you know, maybe came up to me and asked me like, Oh, how do you get started in stand-up comedy? It's like, everybody's path is different. There are a lot of people who get success really early and really fast. And you know what? I wouldn't trade for that. Mm. I wouldn't trade for it. I'd rather, I'm, I'm very happy being, being the person that I've been crying that I haven't succeeded and struggling and struggling and then getting over that crest and feeling like I have done something with my life. Mm. Like you can take that, nobody can take that away from me or from anybody else. If you've written 20 books, my goodness, like how prolific, then I think it's trust is like the next one, you know? And then I think also what comes into play is what I've had to do in looking at my own career of like, okay, I've been trying, been, I've been at this, like, this is really what happened to me is like, I've, I've been, I'd been so focused on, you know, breaking into stand up and acting that I just was like, well, let me just, let me just shift gears for a moment. And as soon as I shifted gears to writing, everything sh everything shifted for me. Mm. And it wasn't that I gave up on those those other things. Actually, what's happened is I've booked more work in the past couple of years, I think, because I let go of this, like, if nobody hires me, then I have no, like, as an actor, if nobody hires me, then I have, have no value. Mm. Um, and it's just, just not the case. I just was putting so much pressure on myself. And by moving my attention over to something that, now, it was actually something that I wanted to do long before I, as I mentioned earlier, got, you know, distracted by the the fantastic dose of adrenaline from performing live. Mm. Um, going back to becoming that person who will hole up in a room and just write words was actually the best thing for me. And I don't, it'll be different for everybody, but I really, I really put into practice letting go of a lot of stuff. I had a lot of stuff personally happen mm. and I, that, and, and I learned that lesson about just letting, letting go, forgiving, mm. like not being so hard on myself, forgiving other people, all those big, those big things that kind of make us a, you know, more compassionate human being mm. starts yeah. to, starting to happen. And I think we can do that for ourselves. The people who've written multiple books, I just, I just want to say like, Oh, it's coming. Like <laughs> it's coming because if you're that organized to write several books and have them out there and in and 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 just like have that desire, mm. the things that the things are they're they're headed your way. And yeah. I've had other actress friends just crying like I work so hard and I do everything I'm supposed to do. And then I say this feeling that you're feeling, I felt it. And I mm. think something big is around the corner for you. And then they call me like a week later like <gasps> You're not going to believe what just happened. Mm. Yeah, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I booked a pilot for ABC or like whatever it is. And it's like, yeah, there it is. Yeah. You were right. You were right there. And just don't give up because that's the thing is we've, we've learned that. Like there's been a lot of proof of people like giving up just before you get that break and you'll never know. So your only option is to keep at it. But I think just change to try a different tactic or, you know, a different medium or just just like start making some adjustments because there's also that saying of like, you know, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same mm -hmm. thing over and over and expecting different results. Well, mm -hmm. I've said that to myself a lot. You know, it's like, am I insane to be in the city doing this over and over when I'm not getting? So then it's like, well, let me try this. Let me try hiring a publicist. Let me right. try, you know feng shui i don't know <laughs> are when when you get to that place of shifting gears like i'm sure some of this there's a lot of things like maybe processing in the subconscious and waiting to emerge that would inform that choice but 
was there an element of role models or mentorship that kind of helped you through that shift or see something, provide a mirror for you to see something about yourself? That's another, that's another great, you're just so full of great questions, Ethan. Thank you. Wow. I've been practicing every week. um yeah i think i think uh i think yes i mine weren't in any kind of form i know some people have mentors that they check in with and and that kind of thing and i i think that would be amazing and and i've i've actually offered to do that for people and, and have done that for for people what i've found with some people is that they fail to show up and ask the questions actually Mm -hmm. um because I, when I meet somebody and they're enthusiastic, besides it's like what I said about conjure enthusiasm, it's like mm. showing up and being enthusiastic is like, like so helpful in determining like who you want to be around and who you want to have working with you on projects and things like that. Because when the enthusiasm is genuine, you can just feel that. And it's like, yeah, let's do this thing. Let's produce this comedy show together let's let's put this writing group together let's let's do this thing right. um but for so for me i've on the other end of like i'm i've been for the past few years being you know getting asked like questions like that and and uh i i come up with a couple of things and it really weeds everybody out like mm. here's my first bit of advice and you know when you get through that, like, let me know how that's going. If it's, if you're struggling with it or if you like it, and then we'll go to like the next phase. Yeah. And I think two people have, of all, like, so mm. I think, I think it's up to us to like, if you find that person who's willing to like have that relationship, you're, you've got to do the heavy lifting yeah. because I mean, first of all, it's like you want, you have the desire to like get to the next level, just like we all do. Now, for me, as far as me looking up to somebody, I had I had a very very short list of three people whose work I was completely enamored by, mm. and I had the joy to get to meet all three of them and talk to them about comedy. That was Robin Williams, mm. Jim Carrey, and Eddie Izzard, and I was surprised by all of those situations when they happened. I learned yeah. a lot just from a brief interaction. All of those, those were just, just, just somehow I ended up in the same space and time as, as these guys who I really looked up to for a long mm. time mm. and was able to ask the questions that were sort of burning and it all happened in under like 10 minutes, you know, and uh, was just like unforgettable advice. So mm. I think I think it's good to like have those people, you know, we all have them, whoever that is. And, and Stephen King is still on my list. And I haven't crossed paths with him, but I don't go out walking in Maine. So that might be part of it. <laughs> right. Um, and but, if you did, you but, might become a character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so I, I think it's, it, it is, um, if the, if the chance, if you p- cross paths with those people to not be afraid to, to like, go up and ask a question, you know, and then as, as, you know, hard as it may seem, or you might feel like, well, what would, what would we have in common or, you know, but it's the rules of improv. I think I'd probably said like some sort of random comment and then they responded and then the conversation just began. Mm. Um, It wasn't like a, a tugging on the sleeve of like hey can you help me with my career it was just sort of this like commenting on something and in, in that was right there just like improv and then yes ending and mm. uh robin williams in particular was it was a really profound experience because um he was at the comedy store doing doing a show and um two shows actually and i i was there doing a show as well uh, in in one of the smaller rooms upstairs, and we were in between our spots, and mm. um, I had just seen him perform in front of an electric audience, and I I was I was already like floored because I'd never seen him live before, and then to be standing next to him, looking you know outside one of the other rooms, you know, and just have this conversation about Shakespeare of all things, mm. 
was extraordinary and to see how he was in real in real life just like a real person you know he's very on in everything we've ever seen but my experience with standing in front of him was just like as grounded as you are talking Mm. to me was Mm -hmm. was how he was and it was like okay that's a big lesson for a comedian that's Mm. a big lesson to know that you don't need to be that person you know all all the time Mm. yeah i there's i think that's right like if you get the chance and you know we can put ourselves into the position to have those kinds of interactions right that's why we go to conferences or you know mixers and network with people right is it's for that chance to soak in how other people are and, and behave when they meet our criteria for success um and that's well part said. Of, that's part of why I have this show, right? Is I want to bring on and have people like yourself who are by many, many, many people's definition, because we all have our own definition of success that we may Mm -hmm. never meet, but by other people's definition, we are successful and you are successful. And so giving listeners a chance to soak in how you think about yourself and the process and the work is, and how you show up is really valuable. Um, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And so I'm I'm glad you're doing what you do. You, it, one thing that keeps coming back for me is that period a couple years ago, right? Where all of a sudden you shifted from your single projecting and you must have been putting ideas out there and pitching and then all the stuff started to come back your way and hit you, right? And so your relationship with your work changed. And I'm curious what lessons really have emerged from being forced to do the work. Like you're you're in that no matter what state now where you can't let others down, which is gotta bring up some revelations for you. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, The first thing that I I thought of a couple of things, what and and they're sort of like might be things that people have heard like over and over and just roll their eyes about Mm. but um for me it was it's the first things that i thought of when you ask me so i you know it it, in improv and life there's first thought best thought that kind of thing and Mm. like Mm. there's no mistakes in improv and like what's coming to your mind is like you can play that Mm. so what came to mind was i had actually started a like an actual gratitude practice where I wrote down not just what I was grateful for but why so I was Mm. constantly kind of create started to live in this feeling of instead of being critical of what I was doing grateful for what I had done which Mm. wasn't anything to like you know was there was value there and I was ignoring it so just sort of embracing that in in my own personal time and then the other really big thing that happened was um I listened to like some kind of inner wisdom I have a meditation practice and uh, and I've gone to uh, conferences in the Society of uh, Children's Book Illustrators, Writers and Illustrators. They had a speaker come in um, at the their annual conference um, two years ago and and uh, said, you know, one of the one of the uh, award winning illustrators had said something like how she starts every day and she sits down and meditates and 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 uh, just sits quietly for a few minutes and asks like what do I need to know today and then sometimes an answer will come to her. Mm-hmm. But I had been doing that and and that was something that happened to me is I got this answer and it was like write a spec script for mm-hmm. um for this one particular show and the rule in the writing world and writing for TV is you never write a spec script a script like that would fit into that show. Um, you never write a script for the show that you actually want to write for. It is like the number one thing when you want to get into TV writing that you do not do. Mm. And the answer was to do that. Mm. And I don't like writing them is the other thing because you have to, in order to write one well, you have to write in the characters' voices. You have to really know the show. Yeah. And I was like, this is not what I want to do. But I am in a writer's group and I had to bring something in anyway. So I did it. Mm. I sat down and I did it. And I remember... I was a, you know, a deadline kind of thing. And I had to present pages. And um, I remember sitting in my car outside a a Home Depot, just 
because I, I I had to send the pages in by a certain time and I was like, I will not miss a deadline. So I'm sitting in my car, I'm wrapping up this version of a Disney show that I'm like, there's no way that this is a real thing. And, and then I got hired on that show mm. from a series of circumstances, but <laughs> um, that happened. Yeah. The thing that is never supposed to happen happened. And I've got a bunch of stories like that. I just, my, the things that happened for me kind of happen in a different way. So I started to see that. And I think it's different for everybody listening mm. is there's a certain way that things work for each individual. Like for some people, I think being like really organized and, and maybe sort of planning things out and like things might ha happen for them that whatever it is, there's a million different things that you could think of like, Oh, mm -hmm. when I wear this sweatshirt, like great things happen to me. Comedians are very superstitious by the way. So it's like, mm -hmm. if you have a good show and everybody's laughing and you wore like a ratty t-shirt, that t-shirt is going to be like at every show. And if you don't wear it and the show doesn't go well, you're just going to be reinforcing that like idea. Mm -hmm. So I think there are these like sort of call them what you want, like superstitions that work for us individually. And for mm -hmm. me, this was what worked for me. Mm. And so you can bet that I'm going to keep doing those sorts of things because they've not led me. They've only led me to really interesting things. Right. Um, and things that supposed to be, aren't supposed to happen. It's not supposed right. to work that way, not but it did for me. To. Yeah. That's, those are big words supposed to. So you found your own way to do it and maybe let go of following the rules. And right. And that yeah. sounds, that sounds like commitment and trust to me. Yeah. 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 I didn't, I don't think, I mean, it's pretty common. Like when we're younger creatives, like we're just figuring out what it is that lights us up or, you know, what we think we want to do. And I definitely didn't trust myself when I, I started stand up really early and you think it was, I just, was doing what I thought was funny or I'd have other people write for me. And I started to just get farther away from who I am as a person mm -hmm. until it was like, I was doing jokes that I didn't believe in, but, and sometimes they'd get a laugh. So I'd keep them and it's just, you don't need that. I don't need it. Nobody mm -hmm. does. Mm -hmm. Like if it's not authentic, because people like right now going into 2020, people really respond to authentic. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's good as much craziness as there in the, as there is in the world and we you know all sorts of things going on mm. but like kind of everybody recognizing how important authentic is is really good yeah yeah and so here i am authentically struggling to think of a way to to go from there that's it's really good. It feels really complete. Um, well, it does. Yeah. And I want to share, I want to share a quote, a quote this is about voice, but to me, voice is like being authentic. Mm. So there's this guy, uh, Sol Sachs, who wrote a book uh, called, he's, he's written a, a couple of things and um, it was a, it's a comedy book, like on like stand up and a couple of other, like other ways to make people laugh. Mm. And I have this quote framed. I'm looking at it right now. I pulled it off my desk cause I've had it on my desk for, I think over 15 years. Mm. No one feels exactly as you do. So if you write with integrity, nothing will be exactly like it. And there's your originality and your style. Mm. Soul sex. Mm. Mm. I love that quote. Yeah. It's in the book. I mean, I put it in the book too. Cause I was like, Oh man. I mean, I kind of, I framed it and put it on my desk. Like, <laughs> cause it meant something to me. It's like when you start in comedy or you start writing people and you're sending query letters, people, um, if they get confused about what your voice is or all of that, it's like, this is, this is it. Yeah. I mean, it's great. Writing with integrity is what I was talking about, about being authentic and not doing jokes that you don't believe in, not writing stories you don't believe in, not writing characters you don't believe in. Mm. Yeah, there it is. It might be the episode title. Um, so for people who want to find you and find your book, um, how do they do that? Oh, thank you. Um, 
I'd love to hear from people. And uh, it's been really cool getting messages from from people about the book. My website is georginamarie.com. It's J-O-R-J-E-A-N-A, so Georgina Marie, and um, georginamarie.com. And then my book, Improv for Writers, is up on Amazon or on the Penguin Random House page. I also did the audiobook, which um, I, li- I learn a lot by listening to audiobooks. Hmm. And um, I listen to a lot of nonfiction, so I'm pretty proud of the work we did. We actually added a couple of little things when we did the audiobook, and it was a total delight to to record that. So if people are interested in maybe listening to something more, it's out there in the world. Great. I'm sure a lot of writers listening listen to audiobooks for their self-improvement. So definitely make sure to find a link for that. Um, yeah. Georgina, it's been a pleasure talking with you. You too, Ethan. This is really just an absolute delight. Thank you for being willing to uh, to, you know, talk story. <laughs> mm, always my pleasure. Yeah, I'm glad you reached out. Thank you. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad. I'm just super glad. Thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover the Fearless Storyteller podcast.